part of the process of getting ready today was going back and finding him again more of him and all the stories. So any of the stories you look back on your life, they're not to make much of our mess. It is to highlight and make much of his greatness. And every time you go back, you will find more of him and more of him to uncover. Not more and more of our mess to swamp us, which is what the enemy wants to do to us. Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday women share stories of hope found in Jesus. I'm Robin, and I'm here with Lindy and Katie, and we are your podcast hosts. And today we are in week three, story three of a series on overcoming your past and dealing with shame. And y'all, it has been so great. Mm -hmm. If you have not listened the past two weeks, I will give you a brief overview. This summer, we did a survey where you all told us what main topics you wanted to hear in stories. And one of them was overcoming your past and shame and dealing with shame. And God has brought us story after story on that. So we thought it would be really great to bring you a series. So first we had Grace, who was in her 20s. Then we had Tyndall, who's in her 30s. And now we have Katie, who's in her 50s. And Katie shared this story in Tupelo, Mississippi, in their live gathering. And you know, God is always so good how he sets these stories up. Because honestly, I mean, you know, you look at Grace's story, and it was really just about learning how to walk in that freedom of, of not walking in shame. And then you look at Tyndall's story, and it was more about, okay, hey, break the silence of your shame. And then now in Katie's story, it's really just about finding the God highlights in, in your past mistakes and where God showed up in those moments. Katie has a lot of different layers to her story. You're going to hear that. She'll bounce a little bit back and forth between like something that happened in her past and what's going on in her present to maybe even what's what she's looking ahead to her future. Um, she's so energetic, you know, and, and how she delivers that. But you're going to see all of those different layers. But more importantly, you're going to see all all of the different ways that God just really highlighted his redeeming love and his pursuance of her through all those years. We hope you've enjoyed the Overcoming Shame series. And as you are looking towards 2023 and maybe planning for a small group, either at your church or in your neighborhood, we would love for you to consider when God shows up stories of freedom. If you've liked this series and enjoyed it, you will love stories of freedom because it is all about finding freedom in Christ. You know, this is simply an eight-week Bible study where we've taken eight stories centered around finding freedom. And you listen to the podcast and then... Katie has written beautifully, tying it to scripture and how we can find freedom in our relationship with Christ through those stories. I really think you're going to enjoy it. So go to storytellerslive.org and you can order it today. Also, if you're interested in being a Patreon member, today's a good time to join that as well, because we do have a Dig Deeper audio devotion. And as Lindy said, you know, two of the weeks in the Bible study focus in on this idea of finding freedom from your past. And in the devotion this month, I talk a lot about what God's Word says about shame and how He really can work all things for good. So again, if you want to join Patreon, go and look at our show note links and you can join right there for as little as $5 a month and all the proceeds go directly to supporting our ministry. Here's Katie. Before you listen to Katie's story, we do want you to know that she talks about abortion. She talks about date rape. And if these are subjects that speak to you and that you have dealt with, we just ask that you listen with caution, maybe listen with a friend. And just a reminder that this is probably not a great episode for young years. I was born in Memphis, and you'll probably already know that. I had three brothers, and I had older parents. They were My brothers are 8, 9, and 10 years older, but my parents had me at like 40 and 42. My dad was two years older. 
and I was kind of born into a storm. My dad had his first heart attack in his early 40s, and so I can only imagine, I've only heard stories because I don't remember, of the chaos that would have, you know, a, a mom trying to keep her head above water with three little boys running around. I was really blessed to have an Aunt Lita. I looked back through my life, and wherever there were gaps, God would send a person. Like, because not all people can serve all the roles in our lives. And so my mom, I can only imagine what she was going through, but I had Aunt Lita that served as a mom and a best friend. She was my dad's best friend when he moved from Chicago there, worked for him first, and then stayed with my mom until my mom passed away, until Aunt Lita passed away in her 90s. And then Shannon, my cousin, and she was born crippled. And these are part of the ways I looked back over my years, one through eight. I learned tremendous empathy, and I had a fierce protection of people, too. So if anyone looked at Shannon, I'd be like, what are you looking at? Um, <laughs> because she had crutches and braces, and I was like, I mean, that's normal. And then with Aunt Lita, at one point, again, this is hearsay, but I do remember this part, she left. They tried to bring new people in, and I would terrorize them because they weren't Aunt Lita. And finally, like, the last one left and was like, um, I'm not your Aunt Lita. So my mom went and asked her to come back. And she was my lifeline. She was my secret keeper. She was the person before Jay <laughs> that when I was with her, I really liked me through her eyes. It's like she always saw my potential, no matter what I did. And she knew all my secrets. I never once threw them in my face. So when I was eight, that's why I went years one through eight. Eight was very pivotal. I went to a Billy Graham crusade with my dad. And I remember it. I didn't at first. I had to find my packets took my dad by the hand and went down and gave my life to Christ. And I can remember feeling special. I called it my special. <laughs> and I held my head high and I really felt like I was different. What I didn't know, and no one told me, was that when that happens, that the enemy of our soul, once he realizes that he cannot get our soul anymore, he's going to turn up the heat and try to steal our joy, kill our confidence, and destroy our witness. But I wouldn't have had any language for that. It didn't take long before all the things of the world, I wanted them. I had a prayer box that I wrote down. I want to be pretty and skinny and popular and have a boyfriend and live on this street. And I'm embarrassed to say it, but I would pray at night and say, Lord, let everything in my little box come true. And then I got a boyfriend at 14, and I remember thinking, he is now my first love, and I forfeited Jesus for him. I remember thinking, God's mad at me. Jesus hates me. He's disappointed. And just recently, I felt like he just said, I've never been disappointed, and you've never let me down. And even though you thought you were going a certain way, I never, ever left you. And this is a visual that I didn't realize I had the wrong view of, is that people often, when you've turned and gone away from God, they picture God standing here, and you just go. But the picture they show me is you're going, but he's right here. The whole time. Like, he's not waiting on you to come back. He never leaves. All he's saying is turn. I didn't know how much I needed to hear that. I got Jesus, and he truly was my first love. And the slow fade was from 8 to 14. I ended up forfeiting my first love and let a other, another person be enthroned on my heart. And then I went to an all-girls school that was phenomenal, but you can only imagine the comparison that started. Um, we took scales to the, to the bathroom and started weighing. And so I was anorexic by the time I was 14. And my dad would put me on the scale every day until he got me to a certain number. And he also never brought it up again, never threw it in my face. He just did what he needed to do. And I was really thankful for that. 
let's see, ages 14 to 18, I pretty much, my laser, laser focus was now on this boy. I turned 16 one month, and it was a Sunday afternoon, and um, I was driving to a birthday party, and I had a wreck. But I don't remember it. Like, literally, it must be shock. But when we went to court afterwards, the man that we, we hit head on, so in the wreck, the lesson I learned from my dad is he said, you know, tell the truth no matter what. I said I didn't remember. Afterwards, the judge just gave the other guy a total lecture. And was like, I've seen people go back to work way sooner than you ever did. And yes, because she doesn't remember, they have to pay for whatever. But I just remember that thinking, okay, my dad told me something really hard and it cost us financially, but it landed and it meant something and I didn't forget it that it is better to tell the truth. But at 17, time went on, took my ACT, and that first love that I allowed to take the place of Jesus, again, that's not on him, that was me. Because Jay takes that spot later. I put him right on the Savior <laughs> roll. And then he drove me to a house in Memphis where I had an abortion. And I can remember taking my SAT, getting in the car, and driving to this house with a front porch and green walls, and groggy people getting in the car when I left, and we never talked about it again. So I tucked it away, and I just put it away. I told Aunt Lita, but I didn't tell anybody else, although I found out later in life, when I would drink too much, I would tell all my secrets, <laughs> but only mine. And I'd usually be sobbing. Like, I would, I would start crying and tell everyone what I did. It's like, you just need to know who you're really, like, friends with, and... So the whole world knew him before I came clean with him. So the next story, this all happens in one year. I decide to go to California for a summer program. Long story short, I get kicked out because I went with a friend. We weren't allowed to drink. I had one wine cooler. I did many worse things while there, but I walked in the door and she wanted to go home. So she said, we've been drinking, and I was sent home. So my dad, though, had to come pick me up. And my dad flew back out there, and he stood before the council, and he said, I'm so proud to take my daughter home with me. She broke the rules. She should be sent home. He goes, but then he gave them a lecture, and he goes, there are things going on in this campus you don't have any idea. You might want to open your eyes to that. And just to see him stand in the gap for me, but not condone my behavior either, it was like just riveting to watch. And when we walked out that door, he never brought it up again. We got on an airplane. We flew back to um, Bay Point. Mark was there. And um, my mother brought it up a lot. But my dad <laughs> never brought it up again. And the kicker from that one, and again, I was probably being a brat to my mom. But in a whirlwind, maybe two months later, my dad had another heart attack in Alaska on a fishing trip. And she told me it was my fault because of all the stress I had put on him having to fly back out there to come get me. I know she didn't mean it, but I believed it. And he was my best friend. So it was this lies, you know, just that you log away. But then it was at 18 that my dad said, I want to tell you a story when I met Jesus. And I'm like, you waited this long to tell me this? And he said, well, I wanted to make sure you were of an age that it, you either believed it or you didn't, but don't believe it just because someone else tells you. And so he said, when I had my first heart attack, I was in terrible pain. And I was on a lot of drugs that they were giving me, and they really didn't think I was going to make it. He had quadruple bypass surgery back in an era where they took the veins from your legs. And so it's a lot, lot more updated things now. But he said that Jesus said, this isn't your time, and his pain went away. 
And I was like, oh, I totally believe you. I, I totally believe you. And then I really do feel like in probably the last, the process of getting ready for this, that's when I felt like God gave me the revelation that I think that he could have gone home when I, that year I was born and that he stuck around for us. I really do. My freshman year of college, I didn't know till after, but he had gallbladder surgery and died and came back. And so I think early on, I really did kind of white knuckle the fact, and I didn't know with it, I'm going to lose my dad. I'm going to lose my dad. I'm going to lose my dad. Um, and then when I got to Vanderbilt, by the way, I got stuck at Vanderbilt. Most people don't say that. I applied to one college trying to follow the boy. He did not go there, and I had nowhere else to go. God knew. So when I got to Vanderbilt. I tried to transfer my dad, another dad lesson, said, you're going to give it one year. And I met him when I went back. We didn't last that freshman year. We had to grow up a little bit. But God did bring us back together in our junior year. And he got to meet my dad and um, spend spring break with him. Random afternoon that we were in the library, which was rare. Um, (laughs) Very rare. But we were coming back. We decided to pick up a stupid movie, one we'd seen before. So we got this movie and went back to the apartment. And when I got back to the apartment... The, the landline rang, <laughs> and they asked for Jay. It's my apartment. So I'm like, oh, gosh, he's in trouble. It was the dean of students, so he answers the phone, and I thought he was kicked out or something bad had happened to the fraternity. Well, he starts crying, and I'm like, oh, no. Like, it's really bad. Well, they said her dad has passed away, and her brother's about to call. It was probably no more than five minutes, but it probably felt like 10 years to you because he knew in a In a split second, my whole life was going to be different. The phone rang, and it was my brother Mark. And he's like, Dad's died, and told me the details of that. And I'm going to go ahead, because I didn't recognize this then, but hindsight, this was the beginning of me starting to realize that God speaks in real time. When they called to tell me Fletch died, I was watching the movie Fletch Lives. And that trumps that. And I didn't doubt my dad was in heaven. But God just was like, I want to confirm these things for you. And when I recognized those, I started like, okay, I want to live my life different where I look for him in the situations. Another one years later, because when my mom got sick, so I had one die unexpectedly, and then one that was sick, we watched her waste away and then die. So I've done it both ways. Neither one of them are good. Neither one of them are easy. But I did ask with my mom, I said, God, I need to see you in real time, not just hindsight. I know I'll get some hindsight, but I need you in real time. This one day I had written in my journal, Lord, I want to see your glory. That's not how I write in my journal. Like that's kind of like holy language. And normally I'm like, hey, Jesus, what's up? (laughs) So it was weird that I wrote it like that. I go on a run in this neighborhood near where my mom lived, and I'm listening to a podcast about helping people. And so I see a lady pulling a trash can, and I'm like, well, I should do what I'm listening to. So I take my headphones off and I go and introduce myself and say, let me carry, take the trash can for you. And we start talking. And I said, what's your name? Well, her name was Glory. And so I ended up writing something called Trash for Glory. But it just really like just spoke to my heart. I'm like, God, you really are in real time. And it sent me on a treasure hunt. And part of the process of getting ready today was going back and finding him again more of him and all the stories. So any of the stories you look back on your life, they're not to make much of our mess. 
It is to highlight and make much of his greatness. And every time you go back, you will find more of him and more of him to uncover. Not more and more of our mess to swamp us, which is what the enemy wants to do to us. I effectively made him the new savior, dad, best friend, counselor, boyfriend, all the things. Little did he know, but it's like he took it on as if it was the greatest gift. And it also was a reflection of the heart of the Father because people tell you, like, take your mess and put it at the feet of Jesus. And I'm like, that is the worst gift. Why in the world does he want all of my mess at his feet? But it is. It's what he wants. Is he wants all of our things at his feet. Because he's like, I see Jesus when I look at you. This is where it goes away. It went away at the cross. And for whatever reason, you always looked at me like that. Like you always looked at me through the lens of my potential and like who God created me to be. Like I would, I literally, I was like, oh gosh, like how do you see any of that in me? And he knew all of my mess. At some point, and thank God, during college, I'm sure I was drunk, um, I told him I'd had an abortion in high school. I'm sure I was telling him my secrets. Um, but this comes into play very important later. We get married. Um, have our first child, and then I have a miscarriage after the, after him. And I just looked at him, and he goes, don't you go there. That's not our God. I didn't have to say it. He knew what I meant. And I was like, you're right. It's not. He is not the God that sits and punishes. That is finished. That was finished at the cross. He is not out there doing this anymore. He is not. The price is paid. And again, I'm fainting my own faith, and, and I'm telling myself this because I needed to hear it so bad after the last two years. So this was the greatest gift to me, to go on a treasure hunt of God in my own life. And by the way, when I say that, he doesn't play favorites, so if he did it for me, oh, go look back over your life, he was all over it. Whether you believed or not, that is a true statement. Um, and also, he will never stop coming after you. So if you ain't got me yet, just wait. And it is so good, it is the best. So the alcohol starts to escalate, but I'm a really good hider. Married, we're doing good. And there's lots of wonderful years in there. It was really easy to not drink when I was pregnant. He traveled a lot. And I look back on those years. There was a part of people pleasing or caring about what people thought that did probably save me from some collateral damage because I, I would be so scared that I was going to make a fool out of myself that I had started opting to drink alone. So the isolations also, because I didn't want anyone to talk about me behind my back. And I'm going to get you up to 2007 because then he turns up the heat on the acceleration for my heart. 2007, Jay goes on an Emmaus walk. And if someone's not a, a familiar with that, it's just a spiritual retreat. And it's just all about grace. And it is so good. But I, usually they are gender, like men's retreats and women's retreats. And so he went before me, came back. And I, I thought he was going to say, let's be missionaries. And he's like, that is not my takeaway. And I was like, oh, OK. <laughs> and then I went. <laughs> In September, and I was like, I went in September, and I was very sick. Nowadays, no one would have gone because everybody thought they'd get everything, but I went sick, and I couldn't talk. I had laryngitis, and so I do know now God was shutting me up to listen. <laughs> that is where I got grace for myself. And the difference is, too, I will never forget, my, I would get real pitiful. Like, I was so shame-ridden, I could really not even look anyone in the eye. I didn't know that at the time. I was just... 
just covered in it. So I couldn't talk. I left and I'm like, okay, I'm going to go home. Moderation. I'm going to drink in moderation. Needless to say, for someone like me that, no, that don't work. But I was going to drink in moderation and I accepted grace for myself. And I was like, oh, this is so good. And then I'm driving down the road and I see a friend I hadn't seen in a long time. And we wave. She calls me and says, you want to go to lunch? And I'm like, I don't want to go to lunch. I call all my friends and say, I'm going to go to lunch. Leanne, and then I'll call you when I get home and talk really mean about her. There is something that comes full circle in this. So I meet her for lunch. She didn't want to go either, by the way. Um, I'll find that out later. But she's, y'all, she's radiant. Radiant. She had left the neighborhood six years before, um, and she was a really good friend. She only moved three miles away. I had not seen her for six years. She left because the Lord radically captivated her heart, and she had to get her life straight. So we're sitting at lunch. I'm asking her questions. I'm great at it, and I really mean it because I'm genuinely interested in others' lives, but the more questions you ask, it keeps all the focus off of you. So finally, at the end, we'd been there two hours. She said, you know, I don't know why God had me call you. Um, I knew why he had me call two other people, but I don't know you. And I went in the bathroom, and my lips started going, and I was like, if I don't say it now, I don't know if I ever will. So I went and sat. We were at a booth and nothing but noodles. She ate lobster ravioli. And I just, there was music in the background and we're at a booth. And I came out and I was like, oh my gosh, I drank too much. I can't quit on my own. I had an abortion in high school. And she's like, she starts laughing and I'm crying. And I was like, I want what you have. And she said, it's already yours. And I said, what do I do? I need, I need a plan. And the verse that talks about always be ready for the, um, like the reason for the hope that you have, she was ready. She gets a napkin out and bullet points discipleship. She said, okay, start reading the Bible. And I'm like, what do I do when I'm finished? And she goes, never stop. It's a love letter to you. And I was like, okay, I've never stopped to this day. This is not a testament to me. This is to Jesus. Um, she's like, start journaling. And I'm like, journal what? I was like, these are my little girl journals that <laughs> I wrote, Dear Diary. I always wondered who Diary was. <laughs> but um, but I obviously, and I would describe my days like, Dear Diary, I played with hermit crabs. But God likes that. I was doing that as a child and didn't know it. So I was like, okay. She said, do ACTS. And I'm like, what's that? Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. I'm like, what is supplication? She's like, those are your prayer requests. I'm like, well, what's the other stuff? And so she said, adoration is you're adoring God. Eventually, you're adoring him. will get longer than your supplication. And I, that is a true statement. It does happen. Um, and confession was easy. I always wrote in code, just in case anyone read my, my journal. And I always wrote people's names and initials because I didn't ever want to discredit anyone, but I wanted to be honest in my journals. Thanksgiving, very easy to thank God for things. I got to the place where I would literally copy the Psalms. I'm like, David did it great. Why, why do I need to come up with my own words? And that was my first journal. It's been almost 15 years, and I think I'm on journal number 78. That is God. That, and I've shown my kids, I'm like, this is my cabinet, that when I'm gone, like, this is a messy, real walk with the Lord. And these are our conversations, and these are my prayers for you. And I wasn't perfect. And they know that now. One of the benefits of 2020 is we went to um, therapy and counseling with our youngest was having a struggle. But in that, all of us did a trauma egg. And so we were able to share the parts of our life that were traumatic, um, mistakes we made, things that were done to us. One of the big parts that I forgot in my college years was, um, it was date rape. 
I don't remember it to this day, but I knew it. And I was tanked, though. And so I just assumed, I just thought I deserved it. So I would have never called it date rape, ever. Until about five years ago, and the Lord started really helping to put things in the right category. He's like, everything is not your fault. I, I take ownership of the things that are. He goes, yeah, but you also take ownership of the things that aren't. That one's not yours. That was not to place blame, but naming it is what heals us. And so I was like, okay, God, that one's not on me. One day, my oldest in college called and said, Mom, were you ever, like, did you, did you ever experience date rape? And it was just out of the blue because he was in a sociology class. And I said, yeah, actually. And he just sat there for a minute and he goes, I'm really, really sorry. And those moments with your kids, like things I would have thought I didn't want him to ever know are the things that like actually they look at me like I love you more. So with, with Fletcher at Capstone, we went through these things and we were able to do resentments and regrets and reaffirmations and and honestly say the things that hurt us and how we hurt each other. And that growth, um, I, Fletcher called that the most beneficial hell he'd ever been through. <laughs> it was 96 days. And I was like, oh, you said that beautifully. But I can say the same. It was probably the most beneficial hell that I've ever been through. So Leanne and I's lunch, we leave. I start I'm like, every day I'm in my Bible. I don't, I quit drinking. I'm writing in my journal. I'm reading my Bible. And I decide I'm going to drink from Christmas to New Year's Eve. I'm going to blow it out <laughs> through the end of the year. <laughs> Horrible decision. <laughs> and I'm still reading my Bible. I'm still journaling. So every night I go to bed, I'm like, oh, I'm horrible. I'm horrible. I'm horrible. But I knew New Year's Eve it was the end. Um, so New Year's Eve, I'm in John 5. And it's the story of the man who'd been sick for 38 years. And he said, I'll make you well. But if you go back to doing what you were doing before, something worse will happen. I used to always read stuff like that as like a threatening voice or a mm-mm-mm. It wasn't a threat. It was a promise. And he was holding my face. He's like, baby, I'm giving you an opportunity. I'm giving you another chance. And I took him in his word. It was my 38th birthday. And I was like, I hear you, and it's over. And a friend of mine goes, oh, I don't want to see you disappoint yourself. Why don't you just say three months? And I was like, you don't understand. I was like, this is a divine intervention. This is not me striving to not drink. I promise you. I was like, it's just over. And I'm telling you now, it wasn't easy. The Lord and I, he doesn't do the overnight things. He can. There's lots of people that on a dime lose the desire, and it's over. It, it wasn't over. It took a full year. I didn't know my personality anymore. My whole friend group shifted, not because of them, but because of me. I really couldn't find myself. So I just kept forging ahead. I was like, all I can do is just laser focus on Jesus. That's all I can do is laser focus on Jesus. And I decided to go to this Healing Hands Bible study, which is a post-traumatic stress group for post-abortion syndrome. And this was a lie that I believed. I did not believe it could be called trauma if you did it to yourself. If it was your choice, then I was like, and I remember God saying, who told you that? Your body still responds to the marks whether you brought it on yourself or someone victimized you. But I was doing so good. I was like, I don't really need to go to this this healing group for post-abortion syndrome. And Jay's on the phone with me, and he goes, what else do you have to do? And I'm like, well, you're right. So he's like, I'm going to stay on the phone with you till you walk in that church. And so he did. He stayed on the phone with me till I walked in. I walked into a room with two people, 
One person was the facilitator. She had not had an abortion. And the other girl never came back. So it was me <laughs> and the facilitator. But what I found out in that moment, which is huge, is oftentimes people say you can't give what you don't have and you can't empathize with something that you haven't been through. In Christ, that's not true. She hadn't walked through what I had and she hadn't made the mistakes that I had. But she looked at me with the most love and she walked me through my identity in Christ for 13 weeks. And by the end, I was like, oh my goodness, like he really loves me and likes me. And nothing I've ever done, ever did, he always knew it. And he made me anyway. It was really worth it, Jay. Thanks for for making me go inside. (laughs) And so for the next 15 years, like things that I would have never seen on my radar with him, Um, I had no desire. I didn't have any sort of bucket list. I didn't have a heart for the nations. And like my Mayus verse was Psalm 4610, be still and know that I'm God. But there's another part to that verse. And it's um, in my name will be extolled to the nations and I will be proclaimed to the world. I didn't realize that was going to be part of my journey because he's taken me to Brazil and Uganda and to Kenya and to Costa Rica and India and Germany. I didn't God chose that before the foundation of the world. I would have never in a million years seen that. And that is the God that we serve. Like he will surprise you more than you ever, ever dream or imagine in the best sense of the word. From those stories, I want to share two. And then I want to end with this is the first time I ever shared any part of my testimony in a church setting, which is terrifying. But God is really tender when he starts to ask you to tell any of your story. He started with me behind closed doors. And then he started with me overseas. You're never going to see him again. And I also didn't tell all the things. Like, I really just started with the alcohol. It was the biggest issue at the time. Like, it was the biggest Band-Aid that had been ripped off. And so that when I felt, I felt really like freedom in that area. And so in Brazil, I shared that part of my testimony. And a matriarch of the church stands up. She's in her 60s, y'all. She's stunning, dressed to the nines. And she said, because you shared your story, I know God wants me to go back and share my ugly. But my husband's always told me, don't share your ugly. They won't love us at the church anymore. But she had a history of prostitution. And she said, I know now he wants me to go back to the streets. And he wants me to go back and do for them what someone did for me. And that's what I felt like choose life when I showed up there and got to be a volunteer counselor. I was like, I need purpose in this pain. I need purpose in this mess. I'm the least likely that should be here. But that's what God does. It's like we are the people take you to the places that you thought were the most broken and they are the intersection where his light comes through if we let it because that's what he wants to do. There is no shame there. So I'm telling this at the church and standing at a podium, terrified. There's 200 fancy women sitting out there. And I see people that are wives that work with Jay. And I tell that story and I sit down and all of a sudden I go to the girl next to me. I said, did I just tell everyone I have a history of prostitution? And she goes, Hannah. I'm like, oh my gosh. And I was like, do I get up and tell them I don't? I mean, I have all the other scarlet letters, but I don't have a P. Then I'm like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna have to let it go. So I go out to the car when it's over, get in the car, I call him crying. I'm like, half your, half the wives of people you work with think I'm a prostitute now. And he, he just laughs and he goes, you were. And I was like, that's true. But it was such a good reminder of like, 
when the enemy comes at us with lies, y'all, is that we need to not, Jesus didn't say that, and just move on. I used to be like mesmerized by David. I'm like, how do you keep saying you're a man after God's own heart and you've done nothing wrong? And there's Bathsheba and Uriah because he believed God. He believed him in his word. It didn't change his identity and it didn't change his destiny. And it won't do it for any of us either. It will not take it away. My name means purity and my middle name means grace. Little did I know. That's the banner I always wanted on my life. And it is the banner for all of us in Christ. And that grace, that middle name, it covered it. And it does it for all of us. And then the last mission story was in Costa Rica when Rika and I were there. Everything that we were supposed to do, for the most part, kind of just fell by the wayside. So every day we were at the disposal of the Holy Spirit, which was so fun, to walk through the streets and just whatever he had for us. Um, we did not anticipate being in, like, a men's prison that was, like, maximum security, like, like their major state prison. And so we go in there that day, and they looked at me, and they were like, okay, we want you to share your testimony with all the men in the prison. And I'm like, I think Rika should do it. <laughs> she had already done it, but I thought she should do it again. It was a whole different, whole different cell. It was a whole different group of people. But I have learned for people, like, when you've seen somebody walk with the Lord and you trust their, like, you've seen them, like, you know they're hearing them. She's done this to me. The first time I shared all my testimony in a church, she goes, I feel like the Lord wants you to share it. And I'm like, if, if you heard him say that, I trust you. And I did it. Um, so that day I was like, okay, there's just so much sexual sin is what I'm telling them. I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> and so, and this is the point of this. So I basically shut my eyes because I'm, and I have a translator, which is amazing because you think before your next sentence. So I'm like, blah, blah, blah. And she translates and I'm going, okay, God, what do I say next? And so by the time I get to the end of it and I open my eyes, there were 21 men on their face. Um. And they said that this has nothing to do with me. The point of this being, it doesn't have anything to do but the message of the good news of the gospel. I don't even think those men saw me. And all I could see was a sea of little boys. A sea of little boys that were so precious. And I left going, I will say yes every time if I'm available to any time you want me to open my mouth. Because that's what you do. 2020 almost took it away. I mean, the enemy came strong, and out of nowhere, I felt like I'd come off such a victory like Elijah after, like, he defeated the prophets of Baal. One threat from Jezebel sent him running, hiding in a cave, saying, kill me now, I'm the only one left. I was like, how could I have come so far? And I felt like, I was like, it's all gone. It's just all gone. No, it's not. All the progress we make with Jesus, no one can take it away because no one gave it but him. Um... So, I pray that through my story that you saw God's relentless pursuit of our whole heart. His extreme kindness that will always lead to repentance. And His ridiculous grace that covers over, doesn't cover up, our sin. And I hope that you see God's transformation of shame into confidence in who's and who I am bondage to freedom, and rejection and abandonment to total acceptance in the beloved. And that's not just for me. That is the truth for everyone in this room. And in conclusion, um, we're going to start with where my day began. 
So Jay and I woke up this morning to a power outage. Um, and the only reason I know that is because my fan turned off. And the fan goes off and Katie goes on. So I go out into the den and I was like, I'm going to just start reading. So I get a little lantern and I set some candles and I turn on the fireplace and he comes out and um, we're not about to get romantic. Um, and he's like, who has let me read you this? And it was about the hurricane. And it was a article about Air Force pilots that fly into the hurricane. And this is what it said. Okay, the Air Force pilot who flew into the hurricane described it as a life changer. It's worth looking back through your storms. There is value in studying your storms because you're not studying your storms. You're looking for him. And he promises if you look for me, you will find me. It's a given. It's a given treasure hunt. And I forget it all the time. But if you go back through your life, y'all, you're going to go back to your storm stories excited instead of dreading. Like I can remember at one point looking at Paul going, for the love, why do you keep telling everybody you were a Christian killer? Oh, I thought I broke them. <laughs> um, but now I know why. Now I know why is that these stories matter. And he, the only reason he was able to preach the gospel with such conviction is that he knew apart from Christ, he was nothing. So there's obviously value in studying our storms. We've studied a few of mine tonight, whereas the hurricane hunters, hunters gathered to critical dat data about the storm. We were here tonight as a different kind of hurricane hunter. We were here to study the one who calms the storms. I pray as you leave tonight that you don't leave thinking about my storms, but that you leave full of and hungry for more of my Jesus. He's your Jesus too. As I mentioned at the beginning of Katie's story, there are so many layers there in her story. Many things spoke to me. You know, one thing that she did say was that a lot of times that we just don't consider things trauma if we did them to ourselves. And we so we sit in that shame and we never really deal with it. We maybe even think, oh, well, I deserve to be punished because of yeah. what I've done. I mean, I think, I think one thing that Katie spoke on that actually goes back to even Tyndall's story was when she had the abortion, you know, she was very silent in that shame. And so she tried to cover up her silence with alcohol. Mm -hmm. And so she would drink to try to numb, you know, what she was feeling there. And then it just escalated from there. So it does go back to this idea of Satan wants us to stay silent in our shame. He wants us to think that we're not the only ones there. And I'm going to put some money on it that so many of our listeners can really relate to Katie's story and, and just the trauma that she's walked through. Just as I've personally walked through a lot of counseling in the past year and a half, I've learned so much about trauma and how easy it is for us to discount. Like you said, it was our fault or it's not that big of a deal mm. or other people have gone through so much worse. And so before we go any farther, I just want to say if this is you, go to the Lord. Trauma is real, whether you caused it, yeah. whether it's a situation in your life, get help. Yeah, mm -hmm. Get yeah. help because God wants us to overcome and that. And his name means counselor. His name right. means healer. So you don't have to make an appointment with a professional counselor and go <laughs> sit in their office. You very have true. him available very right true. there in your living room, right yeah. there in your car. Yeah. So that's that's great, Robin. I, I really second that to just go before him and just lay it at his feet. Mm -hmm. Well, and what spoke to me was never underestimate the pursuit of God. He continued to pursue Katie. And, you know, it, 
hey guys, I don't know if y'all know this, spoiler alert, but yes, when the Holy Spirit enters you and you accept Christ, you are a new creature, mm-hmm. but it is a daily surrender, right? I mean, so she's she's continuing to to name her sin. She's continuing to lay it at the foot of the Christ cross. Even when she was struggling with her alcohol, she was just like, okay, Lord, I'm giving it to you again. Mm-hmm. And so God continues to pursue us every single day and redeem us and restore what was broken. And one of the things when she was sharing, I take notes as we listen to the stories. And I wrote in all capital letters, your past does not disqualify your future. And if that does not sum up this whole series of overcoming your past and dealing with shame, it's that God uses us right where we are. Even if you haven't dealt with your shame, you're still not disqualified. But if you have dealt with it and you have found so much healing, you're just available to share what he's done in your life with so many women. It's really the heart of storytellers. It's why we do what we do. Your past does not disqualify your future and your calling. Exactly. And you could hear Katie's excitement Yeah, because she was like, I want to tell of his greatness, magnificent Jesus, I want to tell. And I I was very encouraged by her friend that she reconnected with. And I loved how she said, okay, the Lord has told me that I've reconnected. He's told me what to say to these other friends. I'm not sure what I need to say to you. And that was a Holy Spirit moment where the Holy Spirit said, Mm -hmm. name it, lay Mm -hmm. it at my feet. And she was honest and told her story which is exactly what we encourage you to do as storytellers. Also, Katie talked about the treasure hunt. And so when I think back to Grace's story, the first one in our series, I think back to those college years. And we talked about how a lot of times we push those aside. But guys, God can use that. And part of our Discover Your Story workshop that Robin leads is walking through and seeing that treasure hunt, Mm -hmm. seeing where Holy Spirit showed up, seeing how he worked in your life so that you can prepare and share your story for his greatness. Yeah, I think we always kind of love to leave each other with a challenge and leave you with a challenge. Maybe today, sit with the Holy Spirit. Look back on your life in those moments that maybe it's a little messy. Instead of focusing in on your mess and in on yourself, get outside of yourself and focus in on how God showed up in those moments where there was a highlight of His love and His presence and the power of His Holy Spirit. I challenge you to do that today. And y'all, I'm going to give you a little tip. I don't talk often about coaching storytellers, but this is one of my favorite parts. And it talking about a treasure hunt, it's a little bit like that. When you're doing that, when you're sitting with the Lord, if there is a memory that comes back to you that you have not thought of in 10, 15 years, and all of a sudden you have this vivid memory of what you were wearing and what happened Pay attention right there because that is the Lord showing you where he was in that moment. Mm-hmm. And so it may be a scary memory to go back to. It may be something totally joyful. But I always tell people, write it down, circle it, star it, whatever you need to do. That is the Lord speaking to you. And so I'm going to encourage you today, as Katie has just challenged you to sit down, I'm giving you a little tip on how to see where the Lord has been in your past. And so thanks for listening. Y'all, this series has been so fantastic. I hope you have loved it as well. Will y'all let us know? We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at storytellerslive.org. You can leave us a message on Instagram or Facebook at Storytellers Live Podcast. You can reach us on Patreon. Y'all, we love to hear from you. (laughs) Let us know how God has used this series to give you hope. Thanks for listening. And we hope you have a great week. And we will talk to you next week. Bye.